Hi everyone, this is Dave Newbert, Marketing Director for Eagle Eye Power Solutions, and welcome to our podcast, DC Power Hour, the show where we will discuss everything related to, you guessed it, critical DC power solutions. So charge up, power on, or do whatever it takes to get yourself excited for the episode of DC Power Hour. Welcome everyone back to another episode of DC Power Hour. Back with the Battery Blarney duo at full strength. Happy to have Alan back joining us here with George. And we are going to talk about a great topic today, battery monitoring, something that is near and dear to both of their hearts, especially George's. But um, I think we're going to talk about a lot of important questions and, and hopefully get some answers here on what does battery monitor truly monitor and, and what doesn't it and some of the some of the details there. So let's get into it. Good morning, gentlemen. Great to see you all back here for Battery Blarney Duo back in action. How are you doing today, Alan? Doing good. Yeah, kind of living the dream. But of course, uh, I'm sure George is doing the same. But l- let me preface this thing by saying to the folks out there, you know, when we talk about battery monitoring, it's a little bit confusing. What we're going to talk about is battery monitoring for stationary batteries. Now, since the advent of electric vehicles and lithium-ion batteries and other various exotic chemistries, people are starting to confuse battery monitoring with the equipment you have to put together, the monitors you have to put together to monitor batteries in electric vehicles batteries, lithium-based batteries that are being used in various locations, these all have to be controlled. So some people call the controller the monitor. And fair enough, it is monitoring these batteries. But what we're going to talk about today is battery monitoring as far as stationary batteries are concerned. So having said that, I'll let George have his initial say, and then we'll take it from there. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting you mentioned that because before the the real build up on lithium, one of the things I used to talk about was that was it really monitoring or was it battery management? But I had to change that attitude. Now we got lithium in such large quantities because basically the system that manages that that we are talking about for the lithium batteries is actually a management system. It actually controls and monitors the the way the the battery's been charged and if it if it goes outside limits it curtails it and actually takes the units off the line in order to protect them and stop fires whereas the battery monitoring we're going to be talking about today has absolutely no control over the battery and that's that's a, that's a key difference we simply collect data and do a certain amount of analysis on it but I think I should let you get started, really, because although you and I have been talking about the whole idea of monitoring DC power systems since I think about 1987, when I first came to this, or I came to the states full time, and we all both got to SEI, we talked about and we looked at, and you tasked me a couple of times to go and find a monitor that would allow us to remotely monitor our DC power plants we were doing maintenance on. But the market just wasn't ready yet. The, the, the equipment wasn't ready yet. And then you started getting heavily involved in the IEEE Stationary Battery Committee and actually chaired the first version of 1491, which is the, the guide to battery monitoring. 
How did you get, I can never remember exactly how you got involved and got that position. Quite easy, George. You know, they'll let, never leave a meeting while they're discussing something and suggesting people that might do some work on a topic. When you get back into the meeting room, you find out you're actually the chair of the meeting or chair of the, uh, the guide, IEEE 1491 IEEE Guide to Battery Monitoring. Well remember those days in the infancy, but let me let me go back a little bit further. You and I probably come up with the first battery monitor and we didn't realize it. And that was, remember when we talked about the, you take a battery string and if you divide it into two, measure the voltage of each half and they didn't quite balance out. Then you realize that, hey, there may be something with the battery. Can you remember that, George? Oh, I remember it because it's when we were involved with advanced power, that was one of the, the techniques that a lot of the DC power systems, the controllers for the DC power systems were using as a very, very basic form of battery monitoring. You basically split the battery in half and measured the voltage on both halves. And they should theoretically balance or be slight, maybe slightly out. But the idea was if you saw a divergence on either half, then guess what? You One of your cells was misbehaving and it was time to go and look at the whole battery. Yeah, and kind of going along with that, George, Advanced Power did something else that was, was very interesting. It wasn't really battery monitoring. It was kind of a little bit of monitoring, but more of a test in that when they they could they could remotely or locally drop the charging voltage to level somewhat below the float charge and actually look how the battery performed when it wasn't really being charged. Do you remember that as well? Oh, I remember it very well. I also remember a customer that I won a contract with because we had the marginate capability in the chargers because that was done. The other unit down at Bishop Stockford, where we built the systems, our controller wasn't yet capable of uh, of doing, you know, actually handling the the marginate ability of the charger. And we had we were told by one particular customer, or the salesperson was told by one particular customer that they they couldn't buy it until they had that feature. So I suggested they brought their operations director in, and we do a presentation. And I did the mea culpa and said we were. I was responsible for the fact that we couldn't do this feature of turning the chargers off and monitoring the voltage drop. All I'll tell you is that uh, we got the contract the next day because this guy said, if you can't do it, that means I can't let any of my stupid people try to use it. Anyway, George. You know, it's uh, not, it, 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 but it, it's interesting because some of that still comes up today. People don't don't want you to be adjusting the charger. Exactly. Exactly. And that's something we'll talk about later. Maybe isn't that uh, temperature conversation, but get back to the monitoring the early days. I can, I believe it was 1994, 95 timeframe, a mutual friend of ours, Glenn Albert, came up with a, what I thought was a very interesting tester. It's called an ohmic tester. And because with a VRLA battery, there's a lot of things you can't do. You know, you can't look with the electrolyte or you can't look inside the, the, the battery case. You can't check the specific gravity of the electrolyte. You can't look at the condition of the plates. You, you know, from checking for sulfation or plate growth and things like that. 
So then come up with this idea of why don't we test the metallic resistance of the battery? And the change in the metallic resistance of the battery would be indicative of something was happening within the battery. So Glenn devised a system where he put a essentially a tester with a load in it. And to test the battery, you put that load across the battery and uh, across the battery cell. And depending upon the old good old Ohm's law, you find out what the internal DC resistance path, metallic path through the battery was. And by comparing these resistance readings, you could eh, have a rough idea of, of what was what was happening within the battery, what may be heading south. So at the same time, IEEE 1491 was in its infancy. And there was a lot of conversations about, you know, what, what do we call this? What do, what do we call this testing? Because some other companies that you're very familiar with, George, like BTEC, for instance, Midtronic, Avo, Biddle, they're just to name a few, were also coming up with similar type things, but they weren't using the DC resistance path because I believe Glenn had patented that. So anyway, so they would come up with things we'll talk about briefly, like conductance, impedance, acceptance, different ways of putting, checking the ohmic resistance. So IEEE come up with the term ohmic resistance to cover all the three methods of checking the ohmic path through a battery. As I said before, DC resistance was what they had come up with, but the other companies have come up with impedance. Now, impedance is where you inject a signal through a battery and you measure the impedance, as it says, the resistance to current flow. Conductance is basically the inverse of impedance, where you put a signal through a battery and you measure the ability, or in other words, the conductance of the of that path and acceptance testing is, is the same as conductance. So, you know, we had these different methods. So I, I believe 1491 looked at th other things other than ohmic measurements. And but the, the thing is that as time progressed, companies started to bring out data figures on what the ohmic resistance of their various products were. At least a lot of companies did. And I'm going to talk about that shortly, but I want to hand it back over to you, George, to talk a little bit about 1491, other than your ohmic testing. Well, that, that's true. And uh, as you say, Glenn is an old friend of ours, and then he's nice enough. He still is a friend of mine, even although I went and worked for his biggest competitor, BTEC, for 10 years. But he still spoke to me, which was nice. But, and yeah, and... and one of the reasons that BTEC patented the use of impedance, or the testing of impedance, was because Glenn had patented the, the DC. So BTEC held the patent on AC for the same, basically the same amount of time. None, none of these patents are now valid. They've long since expired. But yes, the, the whole point about the, although the ohmic testing is basically replaced the battery technician doing visual inspections, that's, that's really what it replaced. Also, at the same time, actually collects all the other information that that same old battery technician used to collect, like the charging voltage, the voltage on the individual cells, the, uh, the temperature of the cell, 
and the and the the, the current the, the float current on the battery these were all things that could be monitored and collected when they were doing the maintenance and in fact the the test set the, the Albert test set that, that you're talking about and the handheld one and the Medtronic unit because they were the two really the the primary and Biddle were the primary BTEC focused mainly on the permanent monitors but the all of them actually collected a lot of this data at the same time so they really did they, they became a test set for the battery that you could go around and you collected all this various voltage you know, as part of that test with that test set. And that's what, within 1491, on that addition you produced, you, you added, you included all of these different measurements. And as we're still trying to do with it, because I, I sit on that committee now as we're doing a revision on it, just, just to keep it in the family between you and I, but we're still trying to make sure that we explain what the individual, what the actual the parameters we're measuring, what they mean and how they impact and how you can read them within the, the battery to make sense of the data. Yes, yes, you're right, George. You know, orbit measurements are a great tool, but you, you got to look at it in conjunction with some other measurable parameters. I, I remember at a BATCON conference, Oh, probably 10, 15 years ago. Give a plug for BATCON here. BATCON is in May, May 9th through 15th, 25th year, or 20, not 25th year, it's actually 27th year, I believe, but because of COVID and everything. So anyway, but at a BATCON conference, I posed the question, if you could only monitor three things on a battery, what would they be? And the panel of experts that I quizzed, actually, they all come up with the same at least the same two things. And that was current, charge current, and temperature. Because if the charge current increased and the temperature remained constant, you knew there was something happening within the battery to cause the current charge current to increase. Uh, and also if the charge current increased and the temperature increased, you knew that you know, there was a temperature increase was causing that charge current to increase. So if you, you know, just looked at those two things, but th th there was a lot of other things you, you could look at. And maybe you can go through some of them, George, but what are some of the more obvious things were the voltage. And as you said, a battery monitor, at least most of them will measure that voltage. You got to be careful t when you're doing that because you got to really measure the cell voltage before you, at least with some of the monitors, will allow you to do that because if you use the like the Albert or the or the Medtronic's unit, uh, I don't know what it's called now because I believe it's been taken over by Franklin Electric. But if you didn't do that before you you did the test, you'd find that the voltage of the cell started decreasing as you went down the battery string. But anyway, so anyway, there was those two things, but there was a lot of other things we, we could look at. Probably these days, temperature is the most important or one of the most important things are current is because of the chances of a VRLA battery going into thermal runaway. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you know, you need to look at the temperature, you need to look at the charge current. But before I had it back to you, George, to talk about some of the other things, I want to remind folks that, you know, ohmic measurements are great, but they're not an indication of the, they're an indication maybe of a little bit of a state of health of the battery, but they're in no way indicative 
of the you know the capacity of the battery. The only way you can determine that's due for load test. But a they're 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 a good they're a good indication. And you and I will probably disagree as to what extrusions, what the extrusions mean. And I know you're probably going to talk about that a little bit, George. But the, the thing is that to prevent thermal runaway, you have to give some control to the charger. And we'll talk about that as well a little bit later. So if you just remind me about that, George. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. This idea that you can use the uh, the battery monitor, uh, you know, and let's, in this case, let's, let's talk, but think now about not so much the handheld unit, because the handheld unit only collects data as often as you take the, the readings. And in some cases, it's not very often. So, you know, if you do it under the IEEE recommended practice, it's every three months. But PRC005 for the utilities talks about doing it every 18 months. And I know that some utilities do it every 12 months and things like that. And that's really not gathering sufficient data. If we talk about true battery monitoring, where you actually are going to monitor the battery on a 24-7 basis, then it starts to become a lot more interesting. Because, as you said, and I will totally reinforce, there is no single parameter within that data collected by the monitor that indicates failure or loss of capacity. Rather, it simply is it's a collection of information that you can try and interpret to say that the, the battery is no longer behaving the way it should be. The thing that most people seem to forget about it is, is that the, the battery is an electrochemical device. And if that, that electrochemical response changes, it's because there's a change inside that battery that's causing it. And that's what you, that's what the monitor is very good at picking up on. There was changes, you know, they, they, as I said, there's no one single parameter does it. Although a lot of people are actually judging the battery condition purely on the ohmic value. And that is, you know, much as I believe in ohmic values, probably more than you do in a little way, they are not the answer to anything like that. They simply are another indication and when you're seeing it if you if you for instance if you have a whole battery and you see a couple of cells in which the ohmic value starts to change with respect to the the other ones then that cell or unit has a problem and there's a reason and the, the rate at which it might change is an indication about how serious the problem can be and that's one of the things that i do have a problem with with all battery monitoring is this idea that you can set limits and say, okay, as long as it doesn't reach that point, everything's okay. That's not the case. It's one of the best ways I ever find to explain it is you've got to think about the chemical reactions inside the battery almost like a human being. You know, you start to feel ill, you don't wait till you're on deathbed before you go to the doctor. Well, you shouldn't at least, you know. So if you see a change in the relationships within that battery, that's the indication that there's something potentially wrong. And you can actually use those in order to determine what the, what the action should take. It might be that you decide that I really need to verify this and I want to do a discharge test outside the schedule, do a service discharge, for instance, you know? It should be that the monitor should not be a this is good or bad. It should be it's basically it's the ability to collect a lot of data 
interpret it and make a judgment on what condition that battery's in at that point in time. Well, once again, you're right, George. And, you know, I'm getting a little bit worried because we're agreeing with each other too much here. But as far as the limits concerned with ohmic measurements, you know, that's been talked about a long time. And, you know, the IEEE has tried to come up with some guidelines of uh, you know, what the extrusion limits should be. But anyway, just, just a little word before we leave ohmic measurements here and go on to some of the other things a monitor can do. As I say, the ohmic path through a battery, the resistance path, is very, very low in terms of ohm, say, for instance. And that's, you know, a VR, typical VRLA 100 ampere hour battery. Might have a internal resistance of somewhere in the milliohms or even going into microohms. And the same is true for the interconnecting hardware resistance, things like that. But as you get into the larger vented lead acid batteries, which have a extremely small resistance to the metallic path, you have to be conscious of the fact that you're going to have to pull a lot of current or push a lot of current, push a lot of signal through that battery to make it meaningful. So I just want people to be aware that if you have a very large vented lead acid battery, you've got to be very careful with those ohmic measurements because you know there's this... this the resistance, say the DC resistance is so small that you could have problems. So anyway, I'll turn it back over to you and let you talk a little bit. I guess you're going to talk a little bit about some of the other things you can monitor. But more importantly, you know, we need to talk a little bit about the various monitors, what they can do, what they're capable of doing, and where we should be heading in the future with respect to things like artificial intelligence or machine learning, should I say. So yeah. back over to you, George. Okay, well, let, let me just add something that we haven't talked about yet, is the fact that, yes, there are all these monitors out there, all using different techniques to, to, to establish the ohmic value, and they all produce a different value. And this is what gets confusing, because depending on the frequency they're using, depending on if it's an if it's a AC signal, not a DC, Depending on the, as you said, the perturbation current that they're using to take the measurement, the noise that's on the battery, how they handle the noise that's on the battery. And all these factors mean that uh, even within identical monitors on different batteries, you will get, or even, or the, even the same battery with a different location, you may well have a difference in reading between the cells on a brand new, even on brand new batteries. So the whole point is that really the reading you're obtaining is is for that battery alone. And that's where the challenges of trying to, as you said, at one point, we tried to put a figure on for what it, what the, the ohmic value should be for a battery. And it proved that it, it simply doesn't work. It's the most misleading factor going. That, that that only value you're measuring is very specific to that battery and that piece of test equipment you're using. Now, you know, as I said, I, I worked for Glen Albert's biggest competitor for 10 years. And they, the sad thing about although the two of them continue to argue about the benefits of AC and DC, when you actually plot the data from the same battery, whether it's from an Albert handheld tester or a BTEC permanently installed monitor, and we did quite a few of those with because of arguments with people, I have to tell you, they match perfectly. Not in value, but if you plot them on the graph, they look exactly the same. 
So there wasn't, you know, there, there wasn't that much difference. And with respect to your concerns about the uh, the very low resistance, at least in the in, in the next this the, the generation of battery monitors we're starting to look at now, the the ability to measure at those very very low voltages is much more accurate now. You know, you know, you can now buy chips that that measure down there very accurately. The only thing you're still facing occasionally is noise, and you have to work that one out. But uh, so that, that's that's the part of ohmic value. What else are we looking at? Well, obviously the charger voltage, because that's what determines how well the battery is being charged. Very important. And the, the, again, one of the challenges we have with it at the present moment is that with the new, with all the changes to the battery chemical, even within lead acid, there are all sorts of has been added to improve the the, the standard of the battery, handle high temperatures, things like that. And when you actually look at the manufacturer's data sheet, they all have a slightly different charging voltage that they would prefer you to stay within. But unfortunately, some of the service companies don't want to be involved with that. And I have, I have been told by a service tech on one occasion, no, my boss said we're all going to set everything at this voltage and that's what it's going to be. And that's, you know, it doesn't matter how much you monitor, you can't change that sort of attitude. So... Charging voltage is definitely important. The individual cell voltages, yes. Now, there's, there's always been the case where we say that the ohmic value will change before the cell voltage changes. Well, I think if you remember, I did a background paper a few years ago where I actually showed you a graph where the, the cell voltage of a failing battery actually changed before the ohmic value changed. And the point was, the point of using it to demonstrate it was, was the fact that, yes, it changed, but it was inside the actual measurement limits. So there was no alarm. So there was no indication that that was a problem. But it was actually, if you monitored it, you know, if you looked at it and analyzed it correctly, you, you would have known that there was going to be a problem there because the voltage was slowly dropping. And then when it got to about halfway between the point, it suddenly the ohmic value started to change. So that, that's a perfect example of why we need to look at the data in much more detail. The individual cell voltages definitely matter. Temperature, I totally agree with you. Temperature is probably much more important than MD realizes. And again, I discovered that one sitting doing a discharge test at a very large data center or one of the large companies where the regional manager had been given a FLIR thermal camera. In the days of when they were brands just coming on the market and very expensive. And we were doing discharge testing and he was going around using the camera to try and identify hotspots on the battery. And by the end of the night, we all sat down and realized that he was able to tell me 30 seconds before I saw the change in the, the voltage dropping during the discharge, he, the, the battery had started to heat up. And that was what really brought it home to me is just how much temperature affects what's going on inside the battery. There, you, as you said, you've got the ohmic testing, the temperature and float current. Float current is the other one that definitely changes. So, although the change is much more on, on a lead antimony battery, uh, less on a calcium one, but it does change. And you and I, you and I realized that when we were surveying cell sites at one point in our long career, and we, we realized that we, you know, you could stick the clamp on meter onto the measure of the current 
and the batteries that were definitely failing were and they were all lead calcium were starting to show really high levels of float current so there's all these things have got to be taken into account they're they're all an indication and you know you, you, you're right you. George. You, you, you're right let me correct something you said i know we didn't mean to say it but you, you talked about being able to measure very low voltages well, I think what you meant to you meant to, I know what you meant to say was measure very low resistances. Oh, so. yeah, but no, the, the thing the point is you are measuring the voltage across the cell, as the voltage drop based on the load you're applying is then converted to resistance. But you're measuring, in some cases, millivolts down there. Microvolts. But, sorry, yeah. stuff. No, no. Okay. Anyway, but when you talked about the your temperature effect and, and, and things like that. The, and, and float current. Float current is determined by the float voltage from the charger. Now, you, you mentioned, and rightly so, that you know some people want to charge a valve-regulated lead-acid battery at 2.25 volts per cell, no, no matter what the manufacturer says. And the UPS industries the main culprit here, you know, that they set their, usually set their UPS charges at 2.25 volts per cell, and it's never adjusted. But charge voltage is purely dependent upon the specific gravity of the electrolyte within that cell. So the people have been playing numbers games with VRLA batteries, and, you know, as you increase the specific gravity of the electrolyte, you're also increasing the, you know, the energy density ratio of that particular battery size or case size, battery case size. So having said that, that you really need to, to know what the specific gravity of the battery you're using is, but manufacturers are not going to tell you that a lot of times. But there's a, there's, if you do know that, there's a very simple formula that you, you can use to determine what the charge voltage should be, and I know we've got a technical paper on that somewhere. It's called the proper charging of batteries, and there's a lot of information in there. And it also tells you how to calculate what, what the charge voltage should be so you get the proper current into that battery. So the other thing you've got to be careful with, with charge current, is because, it's, as you said, George, you know, if, if it increases, there's something happening if the temperature doesn't increase. So some people have put limits on that as well. But with VRLA batteries, some manufacturers have also put limits on how much current you can shove into that battery. And that's usually on their data sheets. So you got to be careful of that as well. So that's where another good reason measuring a charge current. So having rudely interrupted you, George, I'll hand it back over to you. No, no, you're never rude. You're always polite. And I even said that with a straight face. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the whole the, the thing I think that one of the things you were talking about there was the correct charging voltage, because specifically with PRLA cells, if you overcharge them and the, the actual the protective safety valves open and allow some of that hydrogen and oxygen gas to escape rather than recombine it within the cell, the actual specific gravity of the cell starts to rise because and that then when you if you're actually watching for instance discharge 
on a VRLA cell, you will note that the any any string in or any cell or typically string that has cells that have got have gone with a higher specific gravity because they've leaked some of the the gases out because they've been overcharged. That particular string within a multi-string system will pick up the load faster because it's got it's got a higher voltage because of the the stronger electrolyte. And that's a, if you even if you see that very early on on a discharge test, it gives you a good idea that particular unit or string is likely to fail earlier on because it basically will run out of active material. Uh, run out of electrolyte in order to do the conversion process. And there's lots of good examples out there that you can see that happening. And again, that comes in that if you're using the monitor to do to monitor your discharge test, this gives you an indication very early on of where their failures may take place. Because one of the problems is that when you have the dry out, the actual discharge curve looks really, really good until it simply runs out of active material and then falls off the cliff. So that's another, you know, this is the, the advantage of 24-7 monitoring. You gather data at all times during the, the battery's operation, and you can use that data to make an even more in-depth analysis. And that's when, you know, that's where we start to talk about there's so much work being done today on artificial intelligence and using artificial intelligence to, to do a lot of this analysis. If you collect all the data, they can do it. And I, I actually believe in that because at the present moment, what seems to be happening in a lot of organizations is that the data that's being collected is actually being sent back to a subject matter expert to analyze. The problem I have with that, and I think it's one that you will agree with me on, Alan, is the fact that they are missing out one of the most important parts of battery maintenance, and that is the visual inspection. And we're not in a position to do that yet with battery monitors. But you still need to do a visual inspection because you will see things that are happening that are not necessarily being reported as part of the data collected. No, and I think that that's is more that's that's where I see the problem. Now, hopefully, with artificial intelligence, maybe they'll be able to get a bit closer and identify other changes in there that would indicate that. But I still think you need you need to do a visual inspection. The, you know, that, that that's one of my pet topics, George, as you know, and I've written some papers on visual inspection. But the you know, one thing a monitor doesn't let you do with a vented lead acid battery, and that's measure the electrolyte level. You know, you can measure the specific gravity, but you can't measure the electrolyte level without a visual inspection. And, you know, I know in our suit of things to enable battery maintenance, we have electrolyte beloved monitor. To me, that's very, very important for a vented lead acid battery. So you got to use that in conjunction with your monitor. Mm -hmm. Also, with a uh, with a monitor, it, it there's one thing that I've always been concerned about, and that's the fact that you know besides the visual things you talked about, George, that you can't look at or see, but and that's noise, you know, ripple current and voltage. You know, a good battery monitor will, you know, be able to measure ripple current 
river voltage. And the thing is, you don't really know where that's coming from. You know, is it coming from the charger? Is it coming from an inverter? Where's that coming from? So you may get an indication of an increase in ripple current of voltage, but it's nothing to do with the battery. It's because of a bad charger or bad capacitors in the charger, bad regulation of the charger, something like that. So anyway, some of the other more common things that, that we can monitor other than the obvious, you know, voltage current. Would you like to talk about some of those, George? I'm trying to think what you're, you're most of the stuff when I talk about it from that point of view, it's monitoring it during the operation and seeing what the, the response of the individual cells are with relationship to each other. Because that's, again, is something that is, I don't think is fully understood, is just how much each of these, the, the charging voltage, the, the ohmic value, the temperature it's been operated at, all of that affects how those, the, the value of those parameters you, you, you get. So it's, the, it's to do with it. You're measuring the same parameters over and over again. But I'll, with respect to the battery I'm saying here now, and you're looking at it, how they change in respect of each other. This is not, it's, it's not a new idea. In fact, the, the, the first paper I ever did on battery monitoring, and I got so involved in it or interested in it, was you may remember, we were working together at the time, it was 1994, and I did it at an intellect conference in Vancouver. And the and my premise for there was that you were looking at the relationships rather than the limits. And it's interesting that that is now effectively the way that battery the artificial intelligence will start to look at that because they it can do all these calculations and look at it much faster than you can as a human person. And that's one of the problems with trying to use a single subject matter expert to do analysis. There just simply isn't the time or available to, to spend the right amount of time on it. And that's where the, the actual artificial intelligence will come to, into being. But the other point, the, the other thing that you can't measure with the battery monitor is the interconnect resistances. In other words, the, the actual connection resistances between the individual cells, you can measure those, you can actually measure those resistance values and report. So that again eliminates what we used to do is go around and actually have to measure each one with a, you know, a micro-ohmmeter. Well, that was when we got smart. Before that, we used to go back and re-talk them every year, which wasn't a good idea. But now with the monitor, a permanent monitor, you're going to be continuing able to continually monitor those interconnect resistances and only have to go to site when you you do it. You know, when, when you see something that needs to be tuned. That is probably the biggest value of the of the monitoring system. Yeah, the other thing we can monitor, George, is the discharge current and also the open circuit voltage of a battery. Now if we know the open circuit voltage of a battery that has just been charged or recently charged, we can tell a lot about the state of health of that battery as well. But I don't know if any of the monitors actually do that. So what's your thoughts on that, George? No, I'll tell you, none of them do it because simply is nobody wants to take the charger off and allow the battery to sit because it... Taking it from flow, you need about four hours for it to stabilize before your measurement of, uh, you know, your voltage measure and you can calculate a specific gravity. 
and people just don't want to do it. This is this is one of the biggest challenges we have, is that uh, yes, we you could do more. You know, I have I have had people say to me, I don't I I don't know. Well, we do a nomic test. One of our monitors, we do a nomic test every day, and even although it is a high, it's, it's a high current test, but it's such a very short one today because of the of modern electronics. But we're not taking very little out of the individual cells at the time. But that way, people say to me, "No, I don't. I, I don't want my battery discharged every day." Type thing. So you know, anything you do, when you if you, it all depends on who you are within the organisation. If you're sitting in operations, you just want to know when something goes wrong and you don't want MD to do anything to that system that might give you an alarm or anything else, which is why the, some of the automatic testing comes into question. Although I still think it's a, it's, it's a very valid way to do things. But that's why, so taking open circuit, no, I don't. I, nobody does that. The, the, the reason I brought that up is you and I both know it. So you can tell a lot from that, but uh, mm -hmm. it, it's it's one of the 16, 17 items that you can monitor. It's listed in IEEE 1491. Let me get back. To, I know I'm bouncing around here and I tend to go off on tangents. I, I, I think I once did a seminar on something or other, and I went off on so many tangents that I never really spoke about the subject matter I was supposed to be speaking about. But anyway. the uh, I must have learned that from you. Okay, well. Anyway, I'm easily led, you know, and I tend to go on a little bit. And you remember in previous podcast, I, I told you that I just I joined a self-help organization for those that tend to talk a lot, and it's called On and On and On. So, but anyway, back to temperature. We're, we're looking at two temperatures here, George. We're looking at the ambient temperature, and we're looking at the battery temperature. And... You know, it's easy enough to measure the ambient temperature, but it's not very easy to measure the battery temperature because A, you know, where do you measure it? And B, how do you measure it? So would you like to make a comment about on that, George? Oh, again, I have I have seen it measured using a thermistor on the the case of the battery because the company and the engineers involved, they their comment was we want to measure the electrolyte, the, the actual temperature of the electrolyte and you can you, you can't measure that by measuring at one of the cell posts but the within our, the IEEE in general acceptance is that the you measure the temperature if possible at the negative post because it's the negative plate that is most affected or can be affected by temperature due to the chemical reactions that are taking place and again, that can be measured by a thermistor. But the whole point you have to realize here is that that thermistor has got to be completely encapsulated. Otherwise, it can react to you know, when you're in the acidic environment. So they're always encapsulated, which does actually add a, an interface on measuring the temperature. So again, it's very difficult, depending on the sensor you're using, as to you know how accurate it is. So, uh, but again, it comes back to when you're doing the analysis. Uh, I know I keep going on about it. You should be looking at the change that's taking place rather than the precise value. So, it, you know, it doesn't really matter what the value is reporting. 
it's the matter is that is that value changing with respect to a baseline or is it respect changing with respect to the other cells and units in the string that will tell you more than trying to measure against any limits and every one and every one of those that this is why all the values matter because they all might change at different times in during the failure mechanism the, the, one, the one problem I had with temperature, George, is that you, you, you're right in that IEEE says that you, you measure the temperature at the negative post, the negative most post of the negative battery string. In other words, you know, if you have a 48 volt battery, 24 cell battery, you measure the negative post of that string. But if you're using a thermocouple or, a, as you said, some other device to, to measure the contact device to measure the temperature of the battery, which a lot of people do, I always advise them to put it in a, in a spot where it's in the middle of the battery. So if you have a battery in a cabinet, you need to be measuring the temperature of, of a battery unit that is you know, surrounded by others. Where you get, That's where you're going to find the biggest contact temperature 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 rise so the other thing that i'm looking at here with some of the interpretations of battery monitoring with respect to 1491 and that's the measurement of ground fault i know you're an expert on this george so maybe you can comment on ground fault detection well i'll go back and comment on temperature just for a couple of seconds and say that yes, we still don't. None of our recommendations say you should measure the temperature in every cell, but I have to tell you that is the way. That's what I believe in, and where possible, I would always do that because you really get a different. Again, it's another factor to add to what you're seeing on the responses that are going on within the cell or unit. And yes, ground fault is a, a problem. The, it's, it's one of the things that we're supposed to monitor. Now, the challenge you have with ground fault is that the, the method that's typically used, which is to have two very high resistance from each of the polarities going to ground, <clears throat> and you measure the change in voltage across them if there is a ground fault in either positive or negative polarity of the battery. You can only ever have one of those in the system configuration. And most of the times that today is installed within the charger. Most of the charger manufacturers provide that as a standard. There are there are other ways to do it. You, and I know one at least one battery monitor that is able to supplement that because of a different way to do this. But it's, a, it's an important, you know, ground faults, especially on ungrounded batteries, they become dangerous because they actually create this path to ground and they provide a, a reference to ground that you are also that. So you might, under normal circumstances, you might be able to touch something as long as it's an ungrounded cell, the same way as the a bird can sit on a 135 kilovolt line. But if there's a reference to ground, you get a, a shock. And we've all had shocks off batteries that, are, that have got ground faults on them at times. Is there anything else? Because I think we're getting towards yeah, well, the end of our time. Well, well what I'd uh, <clears throat> like to wind up with, George, like all of these uh, 
conversations we have, we run out of time. We could just talk and talk and talk and yeah. go on, go on and on and on. But they, we covered most of the things in 1491. Plus, there are other things that are associated with battery monitoring, like you talk about ground fault detection in the chargers and things like that. That's very applicable. But wh where are we going, George? Where are we heading with with battery monitoring? And you know, there's some monitors out there that have been around for years and years and years, still do the same old thing. But but where are we heading, George? Where do we need to go? Well, the, the subject, as you know, is very close to my heart. But one of the one of the problems we have actually is this idea that battery monitoring is separate from all the rest of the monitoring that takes place within a system. It is it's, it's because of the the idea that the battery technicians were the people that there was always separate people to do it, and there's always a separate group to to look after the batteries, but uh, and they want to handle the monitor. But at the same time, network operations needs to know what's going on with these batteries and have the information. And my own personal belief is that as I watch what's happening within the control systems, network control systems, the, the use of artificial intelligence to do analysis, that the battery monitor itself will simply become a very intelligent data collection peripheral. And all that information will be passed back for the the monitor itself should be able to do a lot of the analysis to at least provide the the indications of changes that are taking place. And then the utilities, and not just everybody that's using it, they, when they start to use artificial intelligence to analyze the information they're collecting, they will be able to learn and make judgments about what they're seeing and give advanced warning. I think that's the 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 one thing I don't think that most people realize about, at least from my perspective, for battery monitoring, and that is it's actually an advanced warning of a problem. And it's time if you start to see these changes, you have to recognize the way, what's changing, the level of the change, and the decision to perhaps change that particular cell or unit out so that it doesn't damage the rest of the string or cause a failure in, in, in case it's put under load. It's the, So that's what monitoring is about. It's not about telling you what the capacity is. It's not about necessarily, although it can give you a lot of indications towards end of life, but it's 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 just a, it's a warning system. It's a sensor system that tells you what's going on. And artificial intelligence will, without doubt, really add to its abilities. But you'll have to think about it more as an intelligent sensor that is simply providing information to another level of monitoring rather than this standalone unit that only the specialists look at. Oh, you know, I, I kind of agree that, you know, companies are going to cut back on, on manpower. That's a given. You know, batteries are something that nobody really wants to get involved in. So, you know, the more you can do with the monitor, the better. And, but, you know, the human interface that has to come into it somewhere, but I don't think we're there yet. And you know, a couple of the things we didn't talk about was, you know, battery cycling, depth of discharge. They all play a, a part in the the battery monitoring. And that reminds me, another plug for shameless plug for Batcom. If you want to know about battery monitoring, IEEE fourteen ninety one, any of the IEEE standards, 
It's going to all be at BatCon. You're going to have the experts there. You can be able to question George, you know, throw him some hard balls. But we're also going to have a lot of eagle-eyed folks there who are heavily involved with development of battery monitoring and other aids to battery maintenance. They're going to be there as well. So I uh, look forward to seeing some of you at BatCon. And don't be scared to come up and to a booth, the battery or actually, uh, the Eagle Eye booth or the Eagle Eye University booth and tell tell us the truth, you know, that we're a boring old set of farts and but also that you can ask us some questions. So uh, thank you. Thanks for facilitating this, Dave. And I'll let you have the last word. Thanks, guys. Well, not only can you stop by the, the booths and see us, but you can also get your collectors, Alan and George Battery Blarney Duo coasters or beer mats, as, as Alan likes to refer to them. So come check them out. Thanks a lot, guys. Really important topic and uh, really appreciate it as artificial intelligence comes in and continues to change things, hopefully mostly for the better. Eventually, it might even take our jobs and you know, just do the podcast on its own. But what it can't replace is having beers with one another at BatCon or at the Elks Club, right, guys? You can still do that. So thanks again. And uh, in a couple of weeks, I think we're going to do another episode with our friend Dan Lambert, talk about some uh, some new codes and standards, right, Alan? I think that's uh, where we're going next. Yeah, well, you know, like a lot of things, we welcome guests. And really, if anybody wants to volunteer uh, to come on the the DC Power R. Let us let us know. Let David know. And if we like you and think you've got something to offer, we'll give you the opportunity to make a fool of yourself on a podcast, just like George and I do. Well, thanks again. Go. Yep. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend mm-hmm. and catch you next time. We hope you can join us next time. And in the meantime, if you have any questions for the Battery Blarney Duo or anything else you want us to discuss in next week's episode, please email us at info at eepowersolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you then.